0: Welcome to The
2: Beat with JoJo Doman, powered by Husker Online. Nebraska linebacker JoJo Doman gives you an in-depth look at the Husker football program and beyond. The Beat is brought to you by Edgewater Insurance and Real Estate. And welcome here to this week's edition of The Beat. Sean Callahan, JoJo Doman, as you heard, we're brought to you by Edgewater Insurance and Real Estate, a Nebraska-based company handling all your insurance and real estate needs located between Omaha and Binkelman and everywhere in between Jojo. Uh, another tough one. Whew. Where do you guys go, man? I mean, this, um, I mean, you've kind of had just about every kind of loss this year. And, you know, you look at the rankings, three losses, to top 10 teams by three points, three points and seven points.
3: You know, we just put one foot in front of the other and we keep moving. Um, that's, that's the way it's got to be, or else we're we're backtracking, which we're not in the business of. So it was a tough one to swallow. You'd really like to get that one at home in front of 90,000. The place was rocking. Like There's no excuse why we couldn't win that thing, and it just didn't, didn't fall in our favor. Um, so we move on, we learn from it, and we
2: become better from it. And you guys, the way that game started, I mean, it was perfect. You win the toss, put the defense on the field, get the three and out. Ramir Johnson, what, 46-yard screen pass. You march it inside the five. And I know people were critical, oh, going for the touchdown there and not taking the points. But I think Scott Frost really believed. He's like, we we should be able to punch it in here on these guys and get seven points because that's what it's going to take to win this game. You know,
3: I was all for that call, uh, honestly. And then playing defense inside the five, like, is always a fun thing to do. So I like the aggression up front, try to get seven up on the board. And, uh, you know, we ended up. They never trailed this season, um, so when we came up empty on that drive, I was kind of in the back of my head like, ah, oh, well, they still haven't trailed. But that had really nothing to do with the game. I liked the aggression going up front.
2: And you have played some good teams this year, but Michigan just seemed different. I mean, they seemed like a more complete team in a lot of respects. I mean, they had good coaching, good quarterback, really, really physical brand of running, fast receivers, obviously a sound defense, good special teams I mean how how did they stack up to the other teams you've played this year yeah they were they
3: were really good um I'd say them in Oklahoma were probably the two best talented teams we played uh just two different styles of football and good for different reasons um we kind of talked earlier how Michigan downhill physical play uh took the game out of the quarterback's hands make this uh reads easy and then Oklahoma it's more of like an air raid offense gonna find the uh, holes in the zones, and Spencer Rattler with his arm talent, just making things happen. So, uh, two great opponents. Um, came up short, but I love the way we're battling, and I'm proud about that. And I know
2: we're taking the steps in the right direction because of how we're playing the game. Eight this will be your eighth week in a row now. You guys have played. Uh, you go to Minnesota. It's your fourth road game in eight weeks. It's a grind, but you know last year you guys basically you had one off week as Wisconsin, but you played eight games and nine last year. in 2018, you'd never buy at all because of the the cancellation game. Um, so in some ways, you guys have been through stretches like this before at Nebraska, but obviously the road traveling adds to that, the night games and you know playing late, and getting up early on Sunday. I mean there, there's some you know wear and tear you got to get through this week, I think. Yeah. I mean, you we hear it first week of fall camp. Like, this is the best
3: your body's going to feel all year. And that's a tough pill to swallow, but that's the reality of the situation. So uh, we have been here before. We have played uh, games um, this long of a stretch. And honestly, we just have to demand it out of our bodies. Like, my body did not feel good today. Uh, coaches took care of us. Uh, we did pro glide most of practice. So uh, we just got to continue to do the right things and prepare ourselves. And after this one, it's off, two, off, two, and uh, it's going to go by before we know it, so it's really just capitalizing in this moment.
2: Yeah, I don't even want to talk about the bye week, because that, that's a whole other week from now. Let's worry about Minnesota. You guys go to Minnesota this week. Um, you know, Scott Frost at his press conference talked about that game out there in 2019. You guys were 4-2 and two going out there in 2019. I think Ohio State had just beaten you um, maybe the previous week, or there was another game in between there somewhere, but... Um, you know, it got blown out on the road that night. And then last year they came in and, and kind of punched you guys in the face on uh, the senior day in, in Memorial Stadium. You know, you got to think about those two moments. Those are pretty low moments when you've played Minnesota. And I'm sure guys want to kind of get a little revenge for those, those past games. Yeah, I know the guys that have been here definitely uh, have that in the back of our
3: minds. And they play a physical brand of football. And the last two years, we weren't ready for it. I mean, even last year, uh, we competed more, but it's just mental errors that we gave them. They, they were gashing us for runs. Um, so it's really just putting a full game together just like any other game and you can't you can't get out physical on defense and expect to be successful. So I think we've proven that throughout this year. This is another opportunity to do that and uh, you know just put our best foot
2: for, uh, put our best foot forward. And let the result take care of itself. And eleven a.m. road games, you guys like those, right? I mean, if 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 you can draw them up, you like some night home games like Michigan. I mean, who doesn't love that atmosphere? But when you go on the road, play at eleven and, and get back by dinner time, I mean that that's, that's got to be nice. I'm sure guys like that setup too, for sure.
3: We practice in the morning, we wake up, we head straight to the stadium, so our body clocks are already kind of regulated that way. So to go on the road. You know, do our business and, and get out of there. It is nice.
2: And I promise we are going to address the penalty questions. We have a lot of okay. questions in the mailbag. I, Thank I'm going to hold that for the mailbag because we've got a lot of users that want to talk to you about the penalties and the situations. Oh, boy. So we'll hit on that later in the game. And I don't want to get you fined by the Big Ten. I'll get fined. I don't even know if they could find a player. How find, that would work? Find me. It'd be our luck. Like Kevin Warren would suspend suspend you from making calls about, comments about the officials on your podcast.
3: Yeah, that would just. You know, just plain guilty at that point.
2: And by the way, Scott Frost on his radio show asked again about the player podcast. And and as far as I know, we're the only one taping during the season, so we got a lot of listeners of the Beat podcast. And um, he has not listened to the podcast yet. He said, but he hears about it. Yeah, well, it sounds like he just wants to hop on. We got to get Coach Frost on one of these. I don't know if he's allowed to contractually, but, um, you know, JoJo, one of the cool things that we do in the Beat each week with Edgewater is the Husker Heartbeat Giveback. Each week, the Beat podcast, JoJo Doman, Edgewater, give $1,000 to a different Nebraska charity. And this week, the recipient of the Husker Heartbeat Giveback is Compassion International. Yeah, so I got in touch with Compassion actually at a Hillsong United concert
3: up in uh, Omaha, and that was in 2018, and basically a Compassion representative then and there uh, gave their spiel, and I felt called to uh, join the Compassion family, so it was like 20-some dollars to sponsor one kid and like $45 a month to sponsor a whole family that provides food, water, and other resources, and like school books, and Stuff like that. So, um, in that moment, I just you know I went all in and I sponsor a kid named Comey Vincent from Togo, West Africa. And so, when the Husker Heartbeat got involved, I was like, "Compassion,
2: like that's that's uh, let's, let's give our resources overseas where it's needed." And one of the things that uh, they're really trying to do is they have the Fill the Stadium campaign, where they want to raise money for seventy thousand children, which. Basically would fill an entire football stadium up uh, with their efforts by raising this money. Um, so each individual seat represents a child in need of aid today for food, nutritional supplements, hygiene essentials, and COVID-19 and medical screenings. Um, so thanks again to Edgewater, Jojo Dome, and The Beat Podcast here as uh, they will make a $1,000 donation here to Compassion International. All right, well, much more to come here on The Beat. We've got a couple of guests in studio. On that same Husker radio show, Scott Frost uh, broke some news last Thursday night. He said that Will Honus will be back in for a seventh year at Nebraska. We've got Will Honus in studio right now. He'll join JoJo on the beat. And we've got another special guest, um, JoJo's older sister, Riley, in studio. And she's going to cut it up with her younger brother here in a bit. You're listening here to The Beat. built for us.
0: You're listening to The Beat with Jojo Doman, brought to you by Edgewater Insurance and Real Estate.
2: And welcome back here to The Beat, Sean Callahan, Jojo Doman, and we'll be joined here by linebacker Will Honus. But before we get to that, as you heard, we're brought to you by Edgewater Insurance and Real Estate, with locations from Omaha to Binkelman and everywhere in between, serving all of your insurance and real estate needs. Thank you to Edgewater for making this show possible, as they are our title sponsor. But this segment of The Beat is brought to you by Gary Michaels Clothiers, 56th and Pine Lake Road in Lincoln. And man, two weeks in a row. Now, did guys get those dry cleaned? Um, Oh, yeah. I was going to say, did they handle that? Like, who Did somebody from Nebraska handle the dry cleaning, or did everybody have to do that on their own?
3: No, they handled that. Okay, I
2: was going to say, I would have been pretty impressed with 100 dudes all going to like... The Dry cleaner and getting their suits turned around in a week,
3: right? Shoes were on our own, but they had us for dry cleaning.
2: So, you guys, uh, Gary Michaels, School the year the official outfitter now of the Nebraska football team for the Unity Walk. Um, do you guys put them on after the game or just leave them in the locker? It's just, it's just a uh, when do you like when do you put the suit on at the hotel? Uh,
3: we eat, we go up, we put them on, we come down, we go to meetings, we hop on the buses do the walk and take them immediately off in the locker room and then we don't see them again give me the
2: worst tie tying story so far of of the suits
3: well i mean i've had to ask two different people both weeks to tie my ties so that's jojo horrifying
2: but gary michaels clothiers a sponsor (laughs) here of the of the segment and uh, shout out to gary and nate as they've done a great job getting these suits, and I think this is going to be a forever thing. They're going to continue to do, do this where guys will get a suit. A lot of guys never probably had a suit before, so uh, really, really appreciative of their sponsorship. But let's get into the segment here. we got Will Honus, and I teased it in the previous segment. Uh, Scott Frost announced Thursday that Will was going to pursue a seventh year of college football. Now, Will, uh, this is your fifth year at Nebraska. You played two years um, near your home in Wichita at Butler Community College. I'll get right into it. What went into the decision uh, to want to pursue
4: that seventh year of eligibility? Yeah, you know, uh, three major knee surgeries in the past six years. It might seem a little crazy, but I still have a lot of passion for this game and for this team. And I still feel like I can get healthy enough to contribute. I'm um, not 100% sure about that, but I'm starting to get feel better as I go through this. And about halfway out, and I'm optimistic about it.
3: Yes, seventh year, man. That would be huge. You know, I'm in favor of it. Yeah. Um, it would be it would be huge for our program and the leadership and the direction of, you know, just our defense and the caliber of players that we got. So, you know, I've been on Will's Will's butt about it. Um, he's obviously got to get healthy enough, and we'd love to see that out of him. Let's uh, I mean, let's just stick with let's talk about those injuries. You've had three knee injuries in the past six years? Mm
4: -hmm. When was the first one? Uh, So the first one was my senior high school, first game, uh, about halfway through the second quarter. Uh, Second one was my first year at Nebraska. So that would've been like my junior year. And then this past one in the spring.
3: The, The prior two, the prior two, your first two, what, can you remember what
4: helped you get back like what drove you to get back to still play the game um just the combination of passion for the game and then the people around me you know my teammates my family have always been even when i doubt myself they always believe in me i'm thankful to have a really good circle around me you know i have three brothers i'm really close to my parents are always really supportive and then you know guys like joe they're pushing me back they believe in me and that means a lot hell yeah now, uh,
3: that low voice you got is, do you, is that like, does that come natural? Or are you like, is that a stage <laughs> thing? No, it's just always how I talk. Oh, ah, yeah. it's always how he talks. <laughs> um, Buco football. I was at Brock's game this past spring and I went to the Butler game and we were kind of talking some shit beforehand and Independence ended up getting them. Yeah. But,
4: uh, Buco, dude, talk about that experience and what that meant to you. Um, for me, it was just a great opportunity. Uh, obviously, with the injury in high school, I kind of lost out on some recruiting opportunities, and I knew I kept wanted to keep playing. You know, I thought I was capable of making it to Division One level, and uh, both my older brothers actually played at Butler too, so I kind of knew the staff, and uh, they believed in me. They knew what they had in me, and they pushed me to keep playing. You were one of the higher rec- uh, recruited JUCO players
3: that year, um, if I remember correctly. I remember my dad, dude, sending me your film and
2: being like, "Dude, this dude's considering Nebraska. This dude's a this beast." Wisconsin, Wisconsin, and Iowa, along with
4: Kansas State, all offered him as two. I mean, it was kind of a four-horse race, wasn't it, yeah. Will? So it was pretty crazy going into my sophomore year. I didn't have any offers and so played pretty well through the first couple games. And I think it was like after the third game, you know, I was getting five phone calls a day from coaches and really blew up pretty fast. It was pretty overwhelming. And I had to make a decision by December because I was the early signing period. And yeah, basically I got K-State, or I got some smaller uh, FBS schools. I think Eastern Michigan was my first offer. And then as the season went on, I kind of picked up and ended up with probably close to 20 offers.
3: I walk into the training room this morning, Will's hooked up to the P- BFR, uh, still rehabbing his knee first thing in the morning. And that's when I was like, yo, you wanna hop on the pod later? And he was like, yeah. But uh, what's the hardest part of the rehab process for you?
4: Um, for me, it's the mental, the mental part, being out not being able to take the field with your teammates, you know? Uh, and then like physical has never, never been huge to me because you know, rehab's mostly just working out, and I love working out. That's probably my second favorite part about football. So, just the mental adversity you go through. You know, the doubt: Am I gonna get healthy again? Am I gonna be able to play again? What's the first favorite part about football? Uh, hitting people and <laughs> playing. Yeah, yeah.
3: Now, uh, dude, this dude's a scary dude in the hole. Um, when dudes are when when offensive lines are running gap scheme and trying to. Uh, you know, gain uh hats on heads and create angles, and then you got a middle linebacker screaming downhill, putting their shoulder right underneath their
4: chin. How's that feel uh that's that's what that's my stuff, you know uh for sixty minutes, you have the opportunity to impose your will on the opponent, and I'm going to make them feel me the whole game, and that's just kind of my mentality uh, as a linebacker. I think that's what football's all about.
3: I dream a lot and I daydream quite often about having Will out there this year with us and just thinking about the linebacker core that we do have. So much speed, so much horizontal speed, sideline to sideline, and if we had Will out there, just plugging holes coming downhill on
2: dudes, just how much better we would be. It would have helped against Michigan. I mean, just have absolutely just, because I mean, Michigan was coming right at you like a sledgehammer, and and you need more than two guys in a game like that. Yes, the Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa's of the world, like Will Honus is the bread and butter to stop that stuff. Well, you ever think of just the timing of everything? I, I go back to Michigan 2018 when you got hurt. That was the fourth game, and it was only the fourth game because the first game got canceled. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if that would have been the fifth game, you wouldn't have been able to even be in this situation right now and just how you can never figure out why the timing of things is the way it is. But that injury, because of the Akron game getting canceled, allowed you to take a red shirt, which is going to allow you to extend your college career um, the way you're doing it right now.
4: Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I thought I was going to be here for a year and a half when I signed and just ended up being completely different. You know, I never thought I'd be here for three years, four years, and now possibly five. But, you know, I'm grateful to keep playing this game. And for a university like Nebraska, uh, it doesn't really get much better. Now, why did you pick Nebraska over those other schools? Uh, just a combination of a bunch of things. Uh, the excitement with Coach Frost coming back was a big part, uh, to play for a university with great tradition, you know, traditional powerhouse, great fan base, and then also the proximity to home. My parents uh, are my biggest supporters, and it meant a lot to them that I chose somewhere close to home. My oldest brother actually played at Texas Tech, and when I was younger I can just remember it was kind of stressful for them, driving eight hours every game. and it gets expensive and to be able to take a burden off them is important to me
2: no doubt well, let's pick this back up here as uh, we're going to continue the conversation with will honus you're listening here to the beat
0: with jojo doman i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're hear us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment That is a harsh lesson in business.
1: Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch
0: of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so
1: many more doors. The show is called The The Deal.
0: Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to The Beat with Jojo Doman. Brought to you by Edgewater Insurance and Real Estate.
2: And we're back here on the beach, on Callahan, Jojo Dolman, as we have linebacker Will Honus You heard we're brought to you by Edgewater Insurance and Real Estate with locations around the state of Nebraska, from Omaha to Binkelman and everywhere in between, handling all of your insurance and real estate needs, but this segment is brought to you by Jojo and I's favorite sports bar. We may or may not have done a commercial. You get a lot, do you get a lot of people that ask you about the commercial?
3: Yeah, a little bit. I need to get it downloaded on my phone so I can just show everybody.
2: There's some gifts. I, I have the I have the um, what do you call it? The the video of it, the Vimeo. I'll send you the video. Yeah send me that. But yeah it's um, that was fun. But Tanner Sports Bar, 30th and Yankee Hill great place to go Um, if you're trying to go watch nebraska minnesota this weekend uh, they will open at 10 you can get brunch next door at their uh, sister restaurant tavern 180 Uh, but they'll have some breakfast items in there as well get into tanners watch the game you may see jojo there after the game grabbing a, a bite to eat when the plane lands um, hot late, hot lip quesadilla right spicy ranch all right so tanner sports bar and grill proud sponsor here of this segment of the beat but let's get back into it with will honus
3: yeah man we got the fire trucks outside it's getting hot up in here that's all i got to say about that honus let's start from the beginning your football journey
4: yeah so uh come from a football family uh, my dad played college football uh, for his state he was an all-american. He just got inducted in their Hall of Fame. Like, okay. I think it was like six or seven years ago and I honestly felt like I was like made to play football from a young age uh, My dad even na- he wanted to name his kids after the linebacker position So I'm will I have a brother named Sam and my mom didn't like the name Mike So he didn't get a Mike. Ah, uh-huh. that's kind of <laughs> so I played linebacker from the moment. I started playing and uh, my older brother played. He's about 10 years older than me. He played college football, and he was kind of like a role model slash inspiration to me. And so I knew I wanted to play college football pretty early on, and, you know, I've always enjoyed it and excelled at it. So so when did you first start tackle football? Uh, third grade. Oh, and, wow. Uh, you played all the positions? or? Um. So when I was in third grade, I actually played with my – second oldest brother on like the fourth grade team. So I played wing back and linebacker and then from then on I played linebacker and fullback the rest of my career until high school. So yeah. yeah. So then
3: you go into high school and what what was that experience like? You guys win any state championships down in Wichita?
4: Yeah, so we won two state championships, my freshman and my junior year. We lost in the semifinal my sophomore year, then my senior year we lost in the championship. So we had a pretty good, pretty good team, you know, a lot of times we'd be up by 50 points at halftime and only get to play half the game, which was tough, but yeah, it was a lot of fun, uh, a lot of good teammates, a lot of good players and learned a lot about football. Yeah.
3: So then, okay,
4: so you have zero offers coming out of high school. Yeah. So I had some schools recruiting me going into my senior year and then with the injury kind of dropped off and. Didn't have a lot of opportunities coming out. You know, I had the Butler offer just because of that connection. And then I think I had one other junior college offer. And a couple Division two schools said they would talk to me about offers if I took a visit. But I had aspirations to play Division one football, and I still believed in myself. Will, the, the junior colleges in Kansas, like how
2: – I mean, is that pretty common for a really, really good, like all-state-level player like yourself to, to go there for two years and then – you know, try to get to Kansas State
4: or KU or somewhere like Nebraska? Is that a pretty common path? Yeah, there's there's a ton of guys that, you know, Kansas, you don't really get a ton of national attention. It's pretty common for under-recruited guys that go to junior college, you know. Ben Powers is an example. He plays for the Ravens right now. Uh, my older brother went on to play for Texas Tech, and he was in the training camp with the Browns for a little bit. And there's tons of other stories like that, especially at mm-hmm. Butler. They do a really good job of recruiting in-state guys and giving them the opportunity to show they can play at a high level. I'm going to test you on your Butler knowledge here. Do you know
2: who the quarterback from Butler was that started for Nebraska and was the Big 12 Player of the Year
4: in 2006? Um, he coaches for the Bengals yep. right now, right? Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor. Taylor. Yeah.
2: He came. He and he wow. went, he transferred from Wake Forest, kind of like what your brother's doing. He went from okay. Wake Forest to Butler then to Nebraska to play for Bill Callahan. He was a big 12, um, he was the last Nebraska player to be an offensive conference player of the year. That's dope. But yeah, there's a lot of stories like that mm-hmm. at, at the junior colleges and, but it's tough. I mean, I, I can only imagine just like, cause there's so many guys from all different backgrounds mm-hmm. and just yeah. all different work ethics. Yeah. And you're, you're a focused, probably good mm-hmm. student. And I'm, not, I'm guessing not everyone was like that when you were yeah. at junior college five years it ago. Was,
4: it was definitely a little bit of a culture shock for me. You know, I went to a Catholic high school and uh, a lot of my teammates are guys from all over the place, you know, different upbringing, uh, different morals. Uh, a lot of guys didn't take school seriously and that's why they ended up there. So I was kind of an outlier in that probably. But I also had a lot of, like, my older brother was there my first year there. My best friend from high school that plays at Kansas State right now went there with me. So, I And they also do a good job recruiting the in-state kids, so it's a good balance of, you know, kids from all over the place and then in-state kids as well.
2: Yeah, Butler, they take a lot more in-state kids than most of the places, right? And we're like, yeah. the Independence where your brother went, JoJo, like, yeah. I feel like they're like entire out-of-state roster almost.
4: Yeah. So I know there used to be a rule of – X amount of in-state players you had on the roster, but they got rid of that a couple of years ago. So some of the schools don't recruit any in-state guys. Some do. It's getting more and more competitive. But then people don't go to the games in the communities when there's not local guys playing. I mean, it probably hurts yeah. the attendance. I think that's a big part. I mean, some of the schools have nobody at the games. regardless Because they don't know anybody. <laughs> like I mean, yeah. you
2: kind of want those yeah. like small-town, neighboring and, Kansas yeah. community guys. I mean, that yeah. probably brings people to those games when you're playing there. Yeah, no doubt.
3: That's one of like the coolest things that I saw watching Brock's team play, is uh, that there really was nobody there, and they were responsible for bringing their own juice. Like, there's not ninety thousand people in the stands. You're not like, okay, I got to go hard. Like, you go hard because you love football. Yeah, you go hard because exactly, you want to yeah. get out.
4: It really does test like how much you love football. You know, some games I think back to. I'm in Highland, Kansas, and there's stands on one side with like five rows, and there's Forty people watching, and it's just you really do gotta bring your own energy and it's a testament to how much you love football if you make it up.
3: no doubt let's fast forward to the twenty twenty season uh can you let our viewers know what you were
4: dealing with throughout the entire year? Yeah, so obviously, we had the really long fall camp, and that was pretty hard on our bodies and my hips started to bug me pretty like halfway through fall camp and Uh, Didn't really get better at all through the season. And then against Ohio State, I thought I pulled my groin and uh, missed the next game against Northwestern. And I actually ended up having a tear in it. So the whole year, you know, I was just maintenance, trying to make it through. And then after the season, I ended up getting double groin surgery, which is sports hernia surgery.
3: Yeah. I remember in the later half of the year, we'd be in practice on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and my boy – Honus could like literally couldn't move, and then Saturday would come. He you take enough ibuprofen to where you can't feel that stuff, and would be back. It was insane.
4: Yeah, adrenaline adrenaline's big in football. You know that. Yeah, pretty well too. I mean, a lot of guys play through stuff. It's just kind of part of the game. Yeah. How old will you be next year when you play? Um, so I'll, well, I'd be twenty four. Twenty four right now, yeah.
3: So. So you played with double sports hernias and you got those fixed, right? You flew out to Philadelphia?
4: Yeah, went to Philly in January after the season, got operated on and then it was just rehabbing through the spring.
3: Yeah, and we kind of talked about that uh we we returned for our for our 6th year, yet we were we still did spring ball. And I know you were kind of on the fence of like, you know, should I be doing this? Should I be not? But also like wanted to be accountable to your work like how tough was that, like, like rehabbing from an injury, wanting to be out there, but also trying to balance, like, should I be out here?
4: Yeah, definitely tough, you know. Uh, you never feel 100% playing football, and you kind of have to find a balance when to push through and when not, and that was kind of a situation where I learned from it. I probably shouldn't have been practicing. Uh, didn't really feel 100%, but I also didn't feel 100% during the season, and I still made it through. In hindsight it's twenty twenty I obviously never thought I would have another serious injury. you know, I wasn't really doing contact, mostly just individual drills and stuff like that, but you know, and it that's how it is now. I can't really go back and change anything
3: dude I remember like it was yesterday my
4: heart like sunk yeah
3: and like like <laughs> it was crazy but uh so but you're still you're still a vital part of this team and of the culture of this program like every young guy especially in the inside back room but on the defensive side of the ball in particular like guys look up to you guys respect you and guys like want to hear from you and uh it's kind of been a different role than you expected but how how do you feel about the role you've kind of grown into uh this year
4: yeah so been helping out at practice going to meetings and stuff you know just trying to give the guys advice uh whether it's mental or on the field you know what they're going through and obviously it's not what I want to be doing but I still care a lot about this team and I want to help out how I can.
3: Yeah it's that's evident because he he spends his day after he rehabs for x amount of time he comes out to practice and stands out there with his bum knee and he and he signal calls for us and uh how's that how's that been?
4: The signal calling during practice is pretty repetitive and I don't really enjoy it a whole lot but I want to help out how I can, and I actually really like it during games, just to have the headset on, know what's going on, know what calls we're in, and be able to really like help guys out on the sideline because I'll know what we're in and know what we're doing.
3: Absolutely, I know it's nice for me to have someone that I can, that I know and that I trust out there, call plays, and and if something's called in the wrong direction, that you can just, you know, make it right. on the off chance that that stuff happens. So, Mm -hmm. Will, I appreciate you hopping on, bro, spending the time. Absolute pleasure, and look forward to
2: seeing you soon. No doubt. Thanks for having me on. All right, thanks again here to Will Honus as he joined us on The Beat. When we come back, we've got another special guest, the older sibling of the Dolman tribe. Yep. Riley Dolman will join us in studio next. You're listening here to The Beat.
5: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lipson ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
0: You're listening to The Beat with JoJo Doman, brought to you by Edgewater Insurance and Real Estate.
2: And welcome back here to The Beat, Sean Callahan, Jojo Doman, as you heard, we're brought to you by Edgewater Insurance and Real Estate, with locations from Omaha to Lincoln and everywhere in between, handling all your insurance and real estate needs. Thank you to Edgewater for being the proud title sponsor here of The Beat, but Our segment sponsor here for this segment, Joe, is S&W Fence for your best defense in the game. Check out S&W Fence with locations in Omaha and Lincoln handling all of your commercial and uh, residential fencing needs voted best of Omaha four of the last five years. But let's get into our next guest. I'm really looking forward to this segment yeah. as we hear all about your 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 dad who's a sports agent. Your mom Teddy had the long sports marketing background. You got your brother who's the quarterback at Louisville Brock, but we don't ever hear much about Riley, your sister, and and she is joining us here in studio. Um, Riley, it's great to have you in, and I understand that you live in Mexico and you're in town. Um, taking in uh, some Husker games here this week.
5: It's true.
1: Thank you for having me, Sean and Jojo.
2: Yes, Rye. Absolute honor to
3: have you. Honestly, guys, I'm a little bit nervous just because I don't know where this is going to go. So let's just uh, let's just go.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: um, Rye, you grew up in a sports household. Mm-hmm. Am I right? You are right. And you start you you. You transitioned from sports to the musical theater department pretty young. Um, just kind of touch on what that experience was like growing up in that kind of household and still trying to find your own path.
1: Totally. I mean, I one of my favorite memories of our childhood is the fact that when we were out of line, our parents would put a timer on the uh, oven and we would do planks, and that was our punishment. <laughs> So no timeout, out, right. but planks. So growing up in this sports-minded family and having such a creative, intuitive <laughs> spirit was an initiation in and of itself. Yeah. Um, I'm so grateful for it from the standpoint that you guys are my grounding cord. You guys are my anchor. I mean, here I am traveling the world. I found an apartment in Playa del Carmen on the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico. Like my spirit is so free. And you guys, uh, ground me here and the love that I have for the family, even though our passions are different, the intensity of our passion for what we have a heart for is the same.
3: Now you were kind of talking earlier, uh, the responsibility that you feel, um, being the older sister to two, uh, young men that are chasing their dreams. And I just want to give you the floor on that.
1: Absolutely. Um, it's never passed by my conscious awareness how important my role has been in your guys' lives and just in general, like the three of us are this like trinity of um, real connection, the connection you, me, and Brock have together in our sibling dynamic is, is one of the most special uh, relationship dynamics of my life. But even as a young girl, I felt very responsible for how you guys were gonna turn out because I knew that it was gonna be of, a, of great importance. And so I was always in your ear planting yeah. seeds from such a young age of, you know, be kind, be courteous. You know, uh, one of my favorite tactics I ever employed was, uh, Joe and I went to the same high school. He was a freshman, I was a senior. And if I didn't drive him to school, he was gonna have to take the bus. So my ultimatum was, yo, I'll drive you to school every day, but you got to take choir. Because I knew that if I knew he was going to be an athlete, I knew he was going to be a star athlete. And I also knew that if he never branched out and met other people, he may never he may miss an opportunity to have greater impact than just on the football field. So I knew about half the schools in choir. And I'm obviously passionate about all things arts. So I convinced him to, to take choir, and he ran with it. You were the president of your choir your freshman year?
3: Yeah, when I got up for my, my speech, I basically said, yo, this is choir, we're going to go hard, and we're going to party even harder, and that sold him. <laughs> that sold him, concert choir president. Was pretty, <laughs> I was honored. Yeah. No, it, you're absolutely right, though. like, I, I learned at a younger age to accept people that were not like me. Um, mm-hmm. my sister was a thespian and, and grew up in that crowd. And those were the friends that she had. So I, I grew to accept them as they were, um, all shapes and sizes, straight, uh, gay, like it didn't matter. Like, and I, and I remember that specifically, like mm-hmm. getting over the hump of accepting gay people as who they has, who, as they are, you know, and loving them and not passing judgment Um, on anybody who's just different than me and I credit a lot of that to you
1: yeah I definitely felt that like I I could feel that if I hadn't been around that there would have been no opportunity for you guys to expand your capacity to love and have compassion towards a greater breadth of people because the family uh, you know mom and dad and Brock and you were all so fixated in the realm of sports and I got to hold down the fort for the rest of the different uh, niches of people that have different interests and different ways of being. And I I really was that bridge between the rest of the world and like the world of sports that our family is so immersed in.
3: When you watch Brock and I play football, what do you see?
1: Well, one, I can't watch football the same since I, I was there when you got injured at your senior year. Like that game broke my heart open because I watched my brother like break his, what was it?
3: I tore my labrum and dislocated my shoulder.
1: And I watched that hit and there was ice all over the field and the team was wearing, the other team was like totally cheating and wearing spikes in their cleats and your team was just falling every play and that was like the second play of the game and it broke my heart to see you get so hurt and then to watch Brock out there every play and his his linemen were just falling every snap they just fell it was so icy so I just spent the whole game in so much stress (laughs) (laughs) and since then football has always like when I watch I'm just praying prayers of protection um over you guys so much because I think that was the game that I saw like how rigorous and um intense this sport can be and What was really powerful was watching you on the sidelines. You know, you'd just gone through something so painful, and you were going around in true JoJo fashion with that spirit and that fire, and you were inspiring all of your teammates on the sidelines. And um, so, I guess for me, watching football used to be like an obligation until that game. And I realized then that my obligation as your sister when I watch you is to pray prayers of protection and just that you would be covered so that you can play the game that you love without without hurting yourself.
2: Yeah. I love that. I love (laughs) that. Spikes in the cleats. Oh yeah. So, so it was like icy and they were
3: adding extra traction for the field. There were four semifinal games that day. Three of them had clear fields. One of them didn't. And that was ours. They had a tractor like on the side of the field, just didn't use it. Um, we were grass or turf grass. Ooh, it was a sheet of ice about six inches. And, uh, yeah, they chose not to, and they were prepared for it. Like we had the Colorado all-time leading sack leader on my team, and he beat the tackle damn near on every play. But then was slipping and sliding, and their quarterback, who had like ex- special cleats, special mm-hmm. cleats, was like making this dude juke like he was a middle schooler, and like that just wouldn't have happened on a level playing field. No. And uh, I mean, the snap that I tore my labrum on um, went under, like never left the ground rocks under center and the and the snap just slid right underneath his hands. I'm in the backfield going on a pitch to the left. There's the ball. Here I, I extend for the ball and get hit. They actually return that ball for a touchdown. Oh my gosh. So I'm yeah. down on the ground excruciating pain and I just hear this roar and I roll over and I see everybody running the opposite direction. I'm like, that can't be good. <laughs> get yeah. up, walk to the side Yeah, that was definitely a turning point in my life. Um realized one not everything is about winning and two how you know fragile this game is and um how blessed you are to actually be healthy to play it but moving on from that i kind of want to touch on you and kind of give our viewers like just a a glimpse of what you are doing um Mm -hmm. and that there are people like you out in the world what are you doing in tulum mexico
1: yeah i mean the yucatan peninsula it just called to me i was living in la i'd been there for four years and After graduating with my BFA in musical theater, I went out to LA and I was acting and I was on the grind of auditioning five to six times a week during pilot season, um, putting my body through excruciating uh, pain to maintain the level of the standard of beauty that is expected in young women in Los Angeles. And at one point I had that bathroom floor moment and I hit that rock bottom and I heard the the Spirit of God tell me that everything I desired was on the other side of my healing. and It wasn't on the other side of becoming a size zero and being, you know, hot girl number four on a set of a television show. And so my dominant frequency became healing. So all I did was was heal myself and in doing that I unlocked all of these spiritual gifts within myself and I've just been focused on what's been dominant in my field which has been healing myself and healing others. So now my business is online and I serve people through alternative healing modalities, including astrology, channeling and Reiki healing. And I do this work with such a humble heart and with such passion because I believe everyone deserves wholeness.
3: We did a uh, Reiki session mm-hmm. last year in 2020 before the Rutgers game, cause it was a night game and uh, we, I went so deep into this meditation that I set four alarms for when I was done. And I'm, s- I'm, I'm, I'm in this trance, almost this hypnosis after doing this Reiki session with Riley <laughs> over the phone. Yeah. And my alarms are going off and I'm hitting stop. I'm hitting stop and I'm hitting stop. And I'm in my head like, why are these alarms going off? I get a call from Ben Stilley. He's like, bro, where are you? And I'm like, um, in my room. He's like, dude, you're late. I was like oh my god that's what the alarms were for (laughs) so kind of just to attribute to like the work that you are doing like I've experienced it firsthand like it is it is uh it changes your perspective and it it gives you an introspective look on yourself so it's really beautiful thank you Joe thank you for opening up and joining me
2: it was absolute pleasure I love you so much I love you Riley, it was great to finally get a chance
1: to meet you,
5: and
2: maybe we'll see you again. <laughs>
5: yes, of course.
2: All right. Well, when we come back, we'll close the show with the mailbag. You're listening here to The Beat.
5: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com.
0: That is it. You're listening to The Beat with JoJo Doman, brought to you by Edgewater Insurance and Real Estate.
2: Final segment here of The Beat, Sean Callahan, JoJo Doman. As you heard, we're brought to you by Edgewater Insurance and Real Estate, but this segment of the program is brought to you by Pioneer pioneer an american seed brand since 1926 they're proud to work with generations of american farmers in the most complex and rewarding industry on earth from your friends at pioneer thank you farmers and jojo is that a pioneer hat you're rocking today sure is shout out
3: so (laughs) thank you
2: pioneer uh for sponsoring this segment of the beat but it is now time for the mailbag and i waited till the end of the show to go there but i'm gonna go there now let's go there this is A mailbag question from Sean in Lincoln. And the question is, (laughs) what what happened on the pass interference? Like, what did you hear? What do you know now on Monday? And why'd they call that? I still don't
3: know why they called it. Um, I basically asked the ref for an explanation right after the play. I said, I'll find you after this next play, after the field goal. Um, Nowhere to be seen. So when I came out of the locker room at half, I made sure I uh, found him. And I went over to him, and I said, I got three things for you. One, the ball was uncatchable. Two, he stopped running his route. And three, I forgive you, but you owe us one and just left. And I was pissed. I uh, more or less lost my mind just because I was in the heat of the moment and I felt slighted, but that was part of the game. And honestly – I, uh, as being usually the cool, calm, and collected one, my teammates rallied around me and calmed me down. I mean, like Ben Stilley's come up to me, like breathe, like the same tactics that I, you know, I tell my teammates then were reciprocated to me, which was really humbling. And it was really nice to just have
2: guys in my corner, like knowing,
3: knowing I need to calm down to play my best football. Because
2: at that point, nine, nothing versus 13, nothing is a huge deal, big time, huge deal. And i got to give Coach Frost a ton of credit for that timeout he called earlier to stop that one touchdown. I mean, did any of the players on the field see the quarterback earlier in the game put his knee down, which led to them having to kick a field goal versus a touchdown on the one before? I think I
3: talked to Honus. Honus actually saw it live, and I also talked to Johnny Raridan, who did the intro. Like He saw it live on TV, and those are the only two people I talked to that saw it. It was unbeknownst to me. Until it came up on the replay, and then we all were like, you know, simultaneously, like, whoa, Man, I mean, that was, was down.
2: the most like involved. I mean, I've never seen Coach Frost like kind of pull like the urban Meyer where he like stopped the game and went out in the field. And you know, li- and they put him on, I liked how they put him on the Husker Vision board and they showed him like letting the refs have it. And then they overturned it. I mean, usually those just don't go Nebraska's way, it feels like. And that was a really big overturn at that time,
3: right? That saved us four points, right?
2: Oh, yeah. It kept it, it, it was going to be 10 nothing and made it 6 nothing. That's right. I mean, at that point, Um, that's a really, really big deal. Okay. I want to get to this next question. Um, Christy van Lu, one of our listeners of the podcast from North Africa. So we met your sister today for who lives in Mexico. We've got a North African listener to the show. She has two questions. Um, this one, um, and you hit on this with your sister a little bit earlier, Jojo, when did you start your spiritual journey? IE faith testimony. Wow. And I mean obviously shorter answer because we got we're gonna get through a lot of questions here.
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously started growing up in the church, but it really became my own when I tore my ACL and I was faced with adversity for uh for the first time and I mean when I when I faced adversity in high school that we talked about, like I still was in the safety net of my of my family and, and home. But then being here on my own in my own little world, um that was like the first test and in that moment where my identity was seemingly football was I had to reevaluate like who am I without football and that was kind of like the initiating point where like I've been on this journey
2: ever since next question from Christy on here has to do with the 3-4 defense and she was just curious have you played in other schemes or systems if so how do you adjust as a player is that a challenge? And I guess I'll say this. I mean, sometimes what you guys play really isn't the 3-4, right? I mean, it's such a multiple look. Kind of go into details of your scheme and the challenges of maybe being a 3-4 versus 4-3 guy. Yeah, I think the flexibility that we have right now
3: makes it hard for offenses because we can bounce from a 3-4 to a 4-3, bringing an on-backer from each side of the ball. So really the the position I play gives us that flexibility of not just staying in three down, but being able to kind of flow between the two. And really, it just it just changes your uh, your fits. You get in a in a three four, you have um, your fitters to each side in in a four three, you can box everything um, in the box and let the perimeter take care of itself. So it, it's just a it's
2: a numbers game in the box and how things fit up. Got a question on holding calls. You know they don't call it a lot, which I mean it's fine because you'd hate to have a game have holding every other play. But if you had to guess, how many holding calls in a game don't get called? You know a whole lot, a whole lot. So it's kind of like why they call some, why
3: they don't call others. You'll never know. Um, we, Refing's so subjective, and it's made out to be objective, but it's so subjective, and that's a tough part of the game. But it's also part of the game, so you got to learn to accept it and you hate to see when refs decide a game and that that kind of thing happens ever so often and you got to play through it regardless and at nebraska we don't i wouldn't say we necessarily get you know the good end of the stick um, more often than not so we not only have to be prepared to beat the other team but we got to be prepared to beat whoever else is against us so you know that's just that's what we're called to and that's not an excuse but that's just you know the fact of the matter so you gotta you gotta find a way to win. You know, offense gets a holding call; they're behind the sticks. You can either give up or you can overcome it.
2: So, got another one here um, about the refs. Have you ever heard of a dual possession? And the, they're talking about the play where the the punt was muffed, and it was a scrum on the ground. I think Phelan Sanford kind of had it, but the Michigan guy, from what I understand, had his leg on the ball too, and it was kind of this crazy dual possession where they couldn't decide who had possession of the ball, and they essentially called it a jump ball, the ball goes to the receiver.
3: Yeah, I've only seen that in, like, an offensive-defensive setting. But the, the 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 referee to our sideline signaled our ball, like, signaled our ball. And we started celebrating, and then they re-congregated and decided that it was a joint possession. So it makes sense. Like, the joint possession rule does make sense. But, um, I mean, I wasn't down in there. I was ripping dudes off the pile, like
2: – how how dirty is it down at the bottom I mean, I, I mean is anything go and you don't have to get into details i think our listeners are smart enough to know when i say anything goes does anything go underneath the pile
3: yeah everything goes everything goes and i remember in high school it was honestly worse in high school high school dudes are out of pocket with it doing some like crazy stuff in college it's a little more i mean you got more respect than to like
2: you know, really hit someone. Have you ever been grabbed? Yes. And I'm not going to get in the deep. People can be smart enough to, I mean, it it happens. High school. High High school. But not call, you haven't been, like, ask Jason Peter about grabbing dudes. I mean, back in the day, Kansas State's quarterback, Chad May, um, and and Will might know who Chad May was. He was a legendary K-State quarterback in the 90s, (laughs) accused in the black shirts of grabbing him and poking him in the eye and, I mean, doing some stuff in the pile. Yeah, man, whatever's legal to get the ball, I guess. And then a couple questions here to close out with. Did Will Compton at all address the team, a former Husker linebacker, NFL linebacker, and now host of "Bussin' with the Boys podcast? He didn't, but he was in our meetings, and he definitely
3: was like uh, getting on dudes' heads and saying what's up. So it was good to have him. We definitely felt his presence. He's, a, he's got an awesome energy to him, and it was great to have him.
2: Have you listened to the Bussing with the Boys and any ideas you can take from his show that we can put on our show?
3: You know, I don't, I don't listen to, like, the whole thing. I have seen, like, snippets of it. Um, I love the lightheartedness of it, and I really love how they can talk about anything. And I don't think this podcast is at that point yet because I'm still under the jurisdiction of the university. But, you know, I, I love a free spirit and someone that's not afraid to push the boundaries or even step over um, for
2: a little bit. So I really respect his honesty in that in that fast one what i'll say about our show jojo is i don't know if there's another one in the country taping weekly as an active player i mean it's what we're doing no one in the country's doing it adrian for example i think taped a bunch of them in august yeah and they're releasing them kind of right now on on um athletes unfiltered but you know nobody comes in every week rain or shine win or lose and does a show like you're doing which takes a lot of guts i mean and we've talked about these night games it's hard to come on sunday and do them and we're taping on Monday just because we both needed kind of a day to um you know move on from Saturday. Yeah, it is challenging and uh it's
3: a lot easier it comes a lot smoother and you know, after a win and it seems like you got a lot of good stuff to talk about but I mean especially after Oklahoma and Michigan State and and Michigan it was it was tough to get in here and but it's what I signed up for and I love it. You make my job a lot easier and uh I'm blessed to be in this situation. So, you know,
2: we could, we could focus on the negative or we can focus on the positive. What I've noticed is when you go on the podium now, like, I mean, you're just so much more comfortable. Like, I mean, I feel like you take that mic like we're on the show and, and you put your hands <laughs> and your elbows. And you're, I mean, you're, you're much more relaxed up there than most guys are. And I think doing a show every week probably makes it a le- like a walk in the park, stepping up there, uh, taking the questions of the press conferences now.
3: For sure. When I first uh, did press conferences, I was always like, well, what do the people want to hear? Like, what am I supposed to say? And, you know, through the experience of doing that enough and then even like jumping on the mic here at the podcast, like the the best thing you have to offer, really the only thing you have to offer is your truth and how you feel about the matter. So uh, just being confident in myself um, to just speak my truth unapologetically and you know, if I'm going to get hate from the schools that beat us and they want to talk trash for a whole month afterwards, then so be it. But uh, that's just the name of the game and the platform that I'm on. Like,
2: I I love it, and I wouldn't trade for anything. Well, uh, Minnesota, then a bye. We will tape again next Monday. So if you're looking for when the show is going to drop after Minnesota, we are going to tape sometime on Monday and have the show uh, drop during the day. So thanks again here. Uh, another great show, JoJo. You're listening to The Beat. Thanks for listening to The Beat with Jojo Doman, powered by Husker Online. Join us for another show next week, brought to you by Edgewater Insurance and Real Estate.